All right, guys, welcome back to the Missional Community Leader Podcast. Um, it's been a bit, uh, good summer sabbatical, but it is time to get back at it. And uh, yeah, I'm just, well, I am grateful for your leadership. I'm grateful for, um, you know, you guys making a way for me to refresh, renew all that good stuff, even though it was a, a weird one uh, this this year with the pandemic and all of that, um, I feel good and, um, you know, we're ready to go here. Uh, so we are starting a new series, uh, series of conversations on the I am statements from Jesus. Uh, these seven statements from the book of John, uh, are, are, uh, just some of those important things. Um, that we're going to dive into and we can go into a little bit of depth on. And uh, so uh, announcement stuff wise, I just want to remind you guys as we are, uh, you know, continuing in the pandemic world um, that, uh, you know, this is something you have to take seriously at your missional community. Each missional community is going to uh, approach it differently and is going to approach it in a way that is best for their location, best for their community, and uh, we trust you as a missional community leader to make those kinds of decisions. Uh, We do ask that you would um, be wise and uh, that you would be thinking through how to approach things uh, from the perspective of uh, loving loving your neighbor well. So, um, yeah, but there's you know, we're not really going to mandate how you do things. And uh, so there is there is grace, there is freedom there. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't think there are any real big announcements. And, uh, you know, I guess it just maybe something you guys be praying for, for Amy and I. Uh, we've got Ethan for, uh, you know, three or four more weeks, three weeks here before he heads off to college. And so that transition time is going to be... Uh, you know, it's going to be weighing on us, and um, so we would appreciate your prayer for that. So, how about I pray, and we'll spend a little bit of time here uh, walking through uh, this this first passage. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for time as leaders uh, to gather together, even virtually uh, via a podcast. Um, Lord, I pray that as we look at your scriptures here a little bit, that we might be changed and uh, that you would help us to uh, lead well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, so the passage that we are looking at, uh, the first I am uh, is, uh, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Uh, And this comes from John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is... uh, it's one of those uh, passages in Scripture that are just super interesting. So many layers. We could probably spend a month uh, just talking about this chapter. And uh, we're not going to. We're going to spend a week looking at uh, a bit of it. Um, but before we dive in, uh, you know, context is everything. So, so what's going on with, with the Gospel of John? Well, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, of the of the four canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, is one that is uh, a bit of an enigma. It's one that 
uh, has not received as much scholarly attention as what's known as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, who all uh, share tons of the same content. Uh, they probably used one another uh, as references in some sense. Uh, Mark being the earliest was probably uh, a reference material for uh, Matthew and Luke. They also probably shared uh, a source called that is known as Q, which is uh, just kind of the sayings of Jesus, which was probably a text that was circulating in the first century that, that we have lost now. Uh, John's gospel is widely understood to be the latest gospel written, uh, probably near the end of the first century, and uh, most likely written, you know, by by the apostle John. And so, uh, you know, it's it's different, and it 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 has a different purpose. Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, while they were written. You know, they're, they're gospels, and so they're written as, as the victory stories of Jesus. Um, but they were also written to be uh, accounts, you know, orderly accounts. Uh, Luke says it that way in, in, his, in his gospel. Uh, they understood themselves to be historians. John, on the other hand, wrote his gospel with a different purpose. And he lays that out uh, near the end in John chapter 20, verses 31, 30 through 31. Uh, he states very clearly that he wrote the gospel uh, so that people would believe in Jesus. This is the first evangelistic tract, if you will. Uh, John uh, John wants people to believe. And, and so that is why he wrote this gospel the way he wrote it. It is, in, in, in John's world, the most important thing is Jesus' words. His words bring life. And so the emphasis throughout John's gospel is on the words of Jesus. That's why we see these huge swaths of Jesus' teaching. Uh, his words dominate. Mark, uh, Jesus' actions dominate. Uh, and in John, his words dominate because they are what bring life. So it's great when you can take you know, the synoptics, uh, particularly if you take Mark and John and set them next to each other, you really kind of get this early and late picture of how people understood uh, the way that the way that you would pursue eternal life. Uh, so you have, you know, um, you know, Mark, this idea of following in the way, living out Jesus's life, living his way. It was action-centered. It was works-oriented. As, as it evolved, even, even just you know, four or five decades later into the Gospel of John, uh, the emphasis is on belief. It's on the words. It's on trust and, 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 and faith. And so you have to bring these two pictures together, right? Uh, and, and we see that uh, really clearly in James's epistle. Uh, which, which I think we might go to next. We might spend some time uh, in, in James's letter after we walk through uh, this. Um, you know, after we walk through uh, these these seven sayings. All right. So, what about these I am statements? What what's the big deal here? Well, we have to understand that the central moment in the story of the people of God before Jesus was the Exodus. Uh, it, it dominates the entire narrative of the Old Testament. 
the Exodus is the story that everything comes back to. It was the first, the ultimate picture of, uh, of God delivering his people in the midst of slavery, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of, of silence. God explodes on the scene through his prophet, through his servant Moses. And he defeats, he overcomes the superpower that was Egypt. And uh, in a blood, basically, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a revolution, a plundering of Egypt, the people of God uh, take, take everything from, from Egypt. Money, spoils, uh, all kinds of things uh, to begin a new life in the promised land. Now, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, we get the story of, of God's call of Moses. And uh, as they're interacting, Moses says, hey, you know, I need to know your name. And this was a common thing uh, back then where, uh, you know, people, people needed, people wanted uh, to know the names of their gods. This, this showed an intimacy, right? And... And it was, and it was a, a, the way for Moses to say, I know God. Here's his name. He has is, he is clearly called me. Um, and so in Exodus chapter 3, God says, tell them I am who I am. So this phrase, I am, uh, became the, the name of God. Uh, Yahweh uh, in Hebrew really just, it's, it's this conglomeration of I am, I am twice. And, uh, and so he is the ultimate existence, basically, is what he's saying. And so uh, you very rarely uh, will see people in the Old Testament refer to themselves uh, as, as I am. They, they will very rarely say, I am here, um, or, or something along those lines. They will most oftentimes say, here am I. And uh, we see this very clearly in Samuel's calling, right, where God is calling Samuel, and, and he says, uh, here am I, Lord. And uh, we see this in Isaiah as well. Uh, here am I. There is, there is this uh, intentionality uh, to avoid the phrase, I am, because it is loaded. It is, this, it is the name of God. And, and so to say, I am, uh, was to identify oneself with the divine. And John uses this very loaded phrase, uh, seven times over with relationship to Jesus, where he is declaring himself God. He is saying, I am. Now, uh, so, so we, can't, we can't overlook at how uh, absolutely important this is, because what John is doing here is he is making it clear that Jesus was self-aware, that he was aware that he was the Messiah. He understood himself to be God. He understood himself to have this dual nature that later gets developed in, in Christian theology of uh, fully God, fully man. G John is already here uh, at the end of the first century saying Jesus understood who he was. Now, because of this, because of this uh, self-awareness, a lot of progressive scholars have basically kind of set aside the Gospel of John and said, you know what, the vast majority of this is, is all bullcrap. Uh, this is just John uh, theologizing the person of Jesus, and so they see it as very much ahistorical. However, I think if you go back and you look through the Gospels, 
of of Mark uh, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. You see, I think you can see uh, Jesus's self awareness as as Messiah, uh, and I think I don't think you can just simply dismiss John's writing out of hand um, as being ahistorical or, or being just some sort of purely mythologized uh, text. Now, is there some of that? Probably, right? Um, because John is writing this as an evangelistic tract. He is not writing this as pure history. This is gospel. This is a very... Cl- John's, John's writing is probably the clearest example of, of Christian gospel that we have. Uh, gospel's the good story. It was used... Um, by uh, the Roman emperors wrote their gospels, their stories of their great victories uh, in expanding uh, the empire and their great military victories were the gospels. And so uh, what we have here is John's gospel. John is telling this great victory story uh, of, of the Messiah, of Jesus, the risen one, uh, who brings eternal life. And this is what John wants us to believe and wants the people who read this to believe. So, uh, so that's that's the background of these I am statements. Um, so, how do we how do we understand what's going on here uh, in our passage uh, this week? Uh, now, before we get to our specific passage, we have to set it up in its context, right? John chapter six opens with the feeding of the five thousand. This is the one miracle uh, that it, this is one of the miracles that occurs. Uh, in all four Gospels, it is, it is a central miracle. And it is central because it aligns Jesus' calling as the, as the prophet, as, as the one, the Messiah who would come back to uh, one of these central uh, moments in the Exodus, right? The people leave Egypt. They're wandering the desert. They're starving. There is no food. And how does, what is God's provision for them? God's provision for them is manna from heaven. Uh, this this amazing manna, this bread that came down and filled them, and um, they could eat their fill of every single day. Um, but uh, remember what happened with the manna. Uh, there was if there was more, uh, if they tried to collect more than they needed for the day, it would rot and it would it would go bad. Uh, so the provision the provision was specific. The provision of manna was timely. Uh, and it was, uh, and it was not eternal, right? Um, whereas uh, Jesus, Jesus is setting us up uh, for something very, very different. So, uh, you know, you have. Uh, so it opens with a story, and in verse fourteen, uh, the people uh, who saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, "Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world." Uh, and they wanted to make him king. Uh, this is this is from Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, uh, verse fourteen and following, where uh, where it talks about this prophet who had come in the line of Moses, uh, who they would li- who the people would listen to, who he who would teach them the very words of the Father. And uh, and so this passage became a central messianic text, uh, especially to the Qumran community. And, uh, and so uh, the, the people 
the people saw Jesus perform this miracle and immediately the light bulbs went off and said, oh my gosh, this is like manna coming from heaven. This, this is the prophet. This has to be the prophet. Let us make him king. Let us submit to him. Uh, and so what does Jesus do? He, he withdraws. He, he, uh, he goes to a mountain by himself and hides out and gets away from them. Uh, after this, uh, he walks across uh, you know, he, he walks, uh, walks across the water, and uh, in verse 24, uh, it says, Once the crowd realized neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So they were looking for him again. You know, they, they went out looking for him. They had to find him. You get the sense almost that there is this panic. Where is he? Where did he go? We got to find him. His disciples aren't here. He's not here. And, and, they, and they take off. Um, they take off looking for him. And so now we get to our passage. It's beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes his eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, that they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. <laughs> All right, lots there, um, but holy smokes. You know, you can see why, you know, why people would be uh, a little creeped out by this. In verse 60, you know, it talks about how the, you know, the disciples all desert him, you know, except for the 12. They just, they're gone. They're like, I'm out. Um, so what do we have? What do we have going on here? Well, 25 uh, through 27 is this kind of introduction, right? Um, and uh, Jesus, Jesus begins to create some dissonance uh, for them. You know, they're like, hey, you know, when did you get here? And she's like, guys, you're here because I filled your bellies. You, you, you're not here because of a deeper reality of faith. That, that's not why you're here. You, you just want me to fill your bellies. And I'm not, that's not what this is about. It's not what this is about. He creates, begins to create uh, this dissonance. And he drops this whole thing about, you know, doing, uh, doing work right? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures. And so, uh, you know, he, he's now going to redefine work for them. Like, okay, what do we need to do? And in their mind, they're like, what religious duties do we have to do to get this bread that, that endures? And Jesus says, hey, it's, it's, not, it's not what you think. It's belief. It's believing in me. This, this is, is what uh, we need to see happen. Uh, then, then it develops, right? Um, and and he continues to develop this through twenty eight through thirty five, uh, this idea of of believing. And so the people rightfully ask him uh, in verse thirty one, "Well, what's the sign? You know, um, what are you in verse thirty? What what's the sign? You know, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Uh, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, are you, is this is this what's the sign?" Now, verse 31 is an allusion to, or, or even a quotation directly from, Psalm 78, uh, verses 23 through 31. The imagery of manna, you need to understand, uh, this, this idea of manna from heaven by Jesus' time had become a central image of God's blessing and provision. Uh, so in Second, in second Temple literature, uh, which is you know, kind of the silent period, we don't have any scripture from there, uh, this time between Malachi and Jesus, uh, manna pointed toward the end times and the overwhelming provision and love of God. Uh, you know, this kind of comes uh, writings like the Sibylline Oracles in the 2nd century BC. And now after Jesus' time, uh, the rabbinical literature pointed to the belief that manna coming from heaven was one of the significant signs of the coming of the Redeemer. Uh, so as they are continuing to wrestle with uh, messianic understandings and messianic predictions uh, this this idea of of manna was was a central illustration now in verses 36 through 40 jesus challenges them and he makes it clear uh, that they've already seen the sign the sign they want to see he's already performed in in the feeding of the five thousand, but they missed it and they've seen it they missed it they don't believe the bread that he is the bread that he offers 
does not fill bellies, but it gives life. There is something more to it, right? It's not just to fill their bellies. They're looking at him to, to meet this uh, want, this desire of having a full belly. In verses 41 through 46, the crowd dis- displays their, their disbelief. Um, and this, this means that they are not listening to the Father. And so Jesus, in verses 41 through 46, challenges their very identity as being the people of God. Don't miss this, right? This is so important. They don't believe him. They're like, who is this? This is the son of Joseph. This is, he's not, he didn't come from heaven. He's just a dude. He's like, stop grumbling. Points us right back to the, to the Exodus, right? Don't miss that, that illusion back. Because what do we see all the way through the wandering in the wilderness? They grumbled, 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 grumbled. Jesus is saying, you're grumbling. You're living a faithless life, just like that faithless generation in the wilderness. So he is, he is challenging them. He is pushing them. And he's challenging their identity as the people of God. In 47 through 49, he makes it very clear. He says, listen, you have to take me in. The people in the desert, they died because the manna they had was, was, not, was not an everlasting manna. They died in the wilderness. And why did the people die in the wilderness? Disbelief. Disbelief. So, so how, do you, how do you get this bread? How do you get this flesh? How do you get this into you? By believing. You feast on Christ through belief, through faith, through trust. This This is what Jesus is pointing them to. And this is what Jesus is pressing them to. And what is the result? Massive, overwhelming disappointment. So I think, I think this is, you know, where we can, you know, we can begin to try to grab hold of uh, our our touch points, right? The, the, these little moments we want to try to drive home, the fallen condition focus that we want to try to expose uh, in our conversation with, with folks is, you know, is this real desire that we want Jesus to grant our wishes. Too often we see Jesus as, as a genie, right? He's, a, he's just this miracle worker who's going to give us our heart's desire. There's an entire false religion that has developed. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the idea that if you have just enough faith, you're going to have that car, you're going to have all that money, you'll never be sick. That, that is a false religion that has grown up around this idea that Jesus is a genie who grants our wishes and our desires if we just believe enough. That's not what's going on here. No, Jesus, the, the redemptive purpose here is that Jesus is, is wanting to go deeper. He's wanting to go deeper than our bellies. He wants to go to our heart. He wants to get us to the place that, that we are going to get what we need, right? What we need is life. We need, we need life. We need eternal life. We need, we need to live a life of love, of grace, of mercy. This is what Jesus wants us to get to by taking his life into ours. 
That's what he's talking about here when he's talking about eating the bread and drinking the blood. It's, it's getting his life into our life so that we can live life, right? But because of that, Jesus fails to meet our expectations. We look at Jesus and he fails us over and over and over again because we don't get what we want. And so we, in our disbelief, look at Jesus and say, you failure, you are a failure. Now, none of us want to admit that. None of us ever want to admit that we hold Jesus in contempt, that, that we have this sense of disbelief in Jesus, that, 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 he, that he holds for us great disappointment. But I think if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, our disbelief is so often rooted in our disappointment in Jesus. That he doesn't do all the things we want him to do, right? The problem of evil is such a great example of this. I can't believe in Jesus because bad things happen in this world. Think about what that is really communicating. I'm not making light of that. I think the problem of evil is a huge issue that we have to try to answer, that we have to try to deal with. But when it becomes the root, the seed of disbelief, of where we say, I cannot believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then what it really is communicating is, Jesus isn't giving me what I want, what I expect him to do. He's not doing it. Therefore, I won't believe in him. And what it is, is that we are, we are disbelieving Jesus because he's not filling our bellies. Because he's not meeting our desires. That's tough, guys. And, but I think that's what we, we have to drive this home. We, we have to get there. And here's, here's going to be the, the temptation. The temptation is to avoid that. It is to avoid this very real issue that we hold Jesus in contempt, that he misses, that, that, that we miss, that he fails to meet our expectations. We're going to want to dodge that in the conversation. We're not going to want to go there. Our folks are not going to want to go there. And so what is going to happen is they're going to get locked into Things like verse 40, right? For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up in the last day. Once saved, always saved. That kind of thing. Or, um, you know, uh, you know, they may get locked in on um, uh, these, these ideas of... Um, you know, in this verse 39, right? This is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. They're going to sovereignty of God, predestination, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those theological questions are in there. And yeah, we, you know, they're, they're valuable to wrestle through, but that's not the heart of the issue. And so we can get distracted by the theology. We can get distracted 
by those questions and miss the heart of this passage, which is that Jesus fails to meet our expectations. And because of that, we hold him in contempt. And we really need to ask ourselves, are we willing to move beyond our bellies? Are we really willing to take the life of Jesus into us? To live lives of, of self-sacrifice? To offer ourselves to our neighbors, to our enemies? That's really the heart of this passage. And so, so we have to get there. Uh, we, have to, we have to press on to this. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, we may want to ask some questions, right? Uh, like, what are some of the things that we think Jesus should give us? Or in what ways do we understand Jesus to be a genie? Um, you know, th- those might be some questions. How do we define, how do we understand life? What do we think eternal life means for us? Um, these are some questions that maybe we need to wrestle through with our folks, uh, along with the five big questions. So, uh, I hope I hope this is helpful for you. Uh, the uh, the write up is is in Google Drive uh, under the uh, Who is Jesus folder. So yeah, hopefully hopefully this introduction will be helpful for you as uh, as you lead your conversations. Um, as always, please let me know if there's something else you need in this podcast that would be helpful to you. And, uh, but until, until next week, guys, I uh, know I'm praying for you. I love you and I am beyond grateful for you.